0: Welcome to Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert, a podcast sponsored by the Healing Lives Center. Discover how to love and lead your family well and biblically. God created sex, marriage, and the family for our stewardship, growth, and benefit. My heart and passion is to teach, train, educate, and disciple Christians that want strong marriages and families. The Healing Lives Center has been serving Christians since the year 2000. Its mission is to be a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation where we offer counseling, coaching, courses, and speaking services to you, your church, or ministry. Check us out at HealingLives.com. I had the honor this past year to present at a conference entitled The Biblical Sexual Ethics and Integrity Conference for Parents. The subtitle was Inspiring and Equipping Parents to Wrestle With and Live Out a Biblical Sexual Ethic, Model Sexual Integrity, and Grow the Parent-Child Connection. My host of the conference was Julia Garrison. Um, you'll see here in the, her in the beginning um, and her uh, links to her work is my, MakeLevelPaths.org. There'll be links in the description. Um, so here is my presentation.
1: So some of you, um, most of you wouldn't know this actually, not some. Most of you would not know this, uh, that this conference was actually going to be last spring. Um, I was gearing up for it, uh, and the name of that conference, again, I love long titles, I don't, it just, the name of that conference was going to be Going Beyond the Sex Talk, How to Disciple Your Child's Sexuality. Okay, a mouthful, right? But that was the whole thing, right? It was like, it was catchy. It had sex in it. Okay, yeah. So that was going to be the title. I had all the graphics done. I was about to launch it. And um, a week before launching and promoting, uh, the schedules changed, and it was put on pause. Now, like any of you, you might think, does God not want me to do this? That that was one of the things that went through my mind, right? It was like, okay, does this mean I shouldn't do it? Like, you know, you're kind of wrestling with that, and in the middle of wrestling with that, um, I I decided I need to relook at this. And one of the things that I was relooking at is I I want a psychologist. I want I want someone who's familiar with human and child development, with human sexuality, who has a who has a different view or a different look on this, not just biblical, but also with the human development piece. Um, I, I know there's a lot of stuff out there about the psychology field and it's been used in negative ways, but did you know the root word is soul care? Right? Like, it, 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 it's, it was something that was ours before it got changed, okay? <laughs> so it, it, it's a good thing. Um, it can be a good thing, I should say it that way. I wanted someone who had strong biblical ethic and who had life experience. So not only the psychology background and the human development, but also the biblical ethic and the life experience. I wanted a professional who was well-seasoned and working in the trenches of human suffering. That was really important to me. And with parents' fears, also really important to me. Someone who got the context while knowing hope was alive. So I started asking around. How many of you know that God's a provider? Soon after, I caught wind of the name Dr. Corey Gilbert, a psychology professor at Corbin University. So I googled it. And of course, I'm scrolling his page and I see PhD in family psychology. I see over 22 years devoted to counseling individuals, couples, and families struggling with past abuse, especially in the areas of trauma, adultery, struggles with sex, sexuality, and gender identity. If my mouth wasn't open at this point, I was like, ugh. I see published books, workbooks, uh, specifically on teaching parents, went right to Amazon, ordered it, it's out out there, Um, about biblical sexual ethics and being uh, spiritual authorities in their home. He's even the founder of the Healing Lives Center, which is focused on sex, trauma, and marriage education and training. Then, this is a big uh, dramatic pause, then I see his newest book and take a guess of what it's called. Going Beyond the Talk: A Teen and Preteen Guide. So I'm all fired up at this point. Um, and so after I dug a bit deeper, uh, listened to some things, I was like, "This is this is the guy." So I reached out and eagerly waited his response. Uh, he wrote back in capital letters, "Absolutely." <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, please welcome an answer to my prayer and a devoted and godly expert in the area of biblical sexual ethics, Dr. Corey Gilbert.
0: Set the bar high right there. Okay. <laughs> I am so honored to be here. Um, this, is, this is what I love to do, which is also sounds weird. Um, some of my favorite counseling is actually with abuse and trauma and adultery. Why? Because God's the redeemer. And it's all about that. Why would I teach classes at Corbin about trauma and human sexuality when I know when I get to certain topics I'm going to lose half the class? because it hits them in their heart, because God's the restorer. There's a reason for it. Without it, I would, I would, I would go be a truck driver or something. <laughs> it's always been my backup job. Um, it's, not, it's not logical, actually, to even talk about this stuff. Yet, as I, as I left college and, well, actually, to rewind there, I went to college to be in music, but I found out you have to have talent. <laughs> That was a hard one. My junior year, they sat me down and said, you're not graduating, you are not good enough. (laughs) I cried, they cried, it was a moment. Um, And I had to switch my major. And I was like, I'm not going to major in Spanish. I grew up in South America. I'm not going to major in, I might do home ec. Actually, that was my, I might do that one. So art, I love art, love the stuff like that. And so then I just decided to try this Christian counseling class, one class changed my whole life. My heart and desire is ministry. My heart and desire is to serve, and I never realized that I would be doing that, um, that I'd be switching from this passion of music into counseling, into these, in the, in the areas that were to come. I'm glad doesn't God doesn't give us a preview. I'm God, glad that God kind of goes, you know what, I'm going to give you this little piece, because you're not going to necessarily like what's around the corner, <laughs> and we'll get to that in a little bit, but um, today, as we kind of go through this, uh, definitely, uh, as Julia said, pay attention to yourself, because some of this is, can be difficult. But today, what I really want to focus on is scripture, the foundation. Why in the world are we talking about this? What do we stand on? Um, the QR code here, it's here, and it's also throughout the slides, just so you can grab it if you need it. But it'll have the handouts and the videos and all this stuff on that page after, in a few weeks, in, in a few days, um, just so you can grab it later. But... Um, So this is what we're gonna talk about. We get to talk about sex. It's supposed to be redemptive. And I bet you half or more of us, it's not necessarily how it feels inside your hearts, especially in your experiences. Young people, glad you're here. We need to be able to talk about this in a way that's redemptive. There's a lot of um, stuff inside of us that's actually messed up and twisted that we need to actually re-examine, think through. Um, Really, really important. This is a quote that I saw, heard from Preston Sprequel and it just really hit me. It said, people of faith who are navigating gender identity issues are our people. If we're not careful, we're talking about them. No, you and I are struggling. Every single one of us is actually wrestling with something. It just may not be that piece. We're all questioning things about who God is and why he did this or why he did that, And especially after the last few years we went through. There's so many questions we have. But I love that statement. They are our people. So hold on to that as we kind of walk through some stuff that's not going to necessarily feel good always. This is where I'm from, Temuco, Chile. Soy Chileno. I grew up in Chile, grew up in the Chilean school system, the private schools, missionary family, missionary kid. Um, So I came to America at 17 years old, not liking this country because my grandmother had died right before we came to visit. Not knowing the culture, I mean, your culture in Chile was all I knew, even though when I looked in the mirror I realized, oh wait, I'm not like them. Um, But until I looked in the mirror, I didn't, I wasn't treated different. White redhead with a very different culture, was beautiful actually. This is what I knew, and I actually, being someone who kind of stood out, when I moved to the United States, I didn't realize that I was actually trying to stand out, and didn't know why I was doing that. This is what I looked like in 92 and 93. Um, Mullet's are awesome. (laughs) And I I was on a mission trip to Dominican Republic and a missionary there, she said, Corey, you're doing everything you can to stand out because you grew up your whole life standing out, and now you're nobody. I was like, oh shoot, you called it. And I had to kind of re-examine myself, but I, everything i liked was pink and purple and girly and i mean i crochet and i cross stitch and i do art and i um music major not realizing that in all of that there's also certain assumptions that i just was clueless about because of cultural things not realizing what friends were saying about me when i was um, actually after seminary even i i was getting new glasses and i put a purple tint to the to the lens cuz it was kind of cool not realizing what i was saying <laughs> or what people were interpreting from that, where for a couple of years later, some friends were like, yeah, we thought you were gay, but really didn't say anything. I never really had girlfriends. and um, So what does that mean? Well, what's sad is we're constantly sending messages. Everything we do, everything we say, how we dress, everything sends a message, even if we aren't quite clued into what that means. Um, this was me. This is me now. And it's funny, because I actually... I, motorcycles became a piece for me to leave where I was before. Um, I grabbed onto it probably for the wrong reason even. I didn't want to be known as that person. And so I grabbed onto this identity, I, I, well, the first part was I moved to America and all of a sudden there's no public transportation, so I need my freedom. I've got a job at McDonald's, so I'm making $4.25 an hour and I'm rolling in the dough, so. I need freedom. And so I bought a motorcycle, and that became me. Well, that's just the beginning of that, where it's like, that's not necessarily who I am. There's so many layers. But the world then was so different. And as Laura talked about last night, if I were born today or being a teenager today, I worry where I would be today because of the pressures from our culture and the questions being asked by our teens that should not be being asked, which we'll talk about today. Um, I added better pipes on that one, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I laugh when, I see, when I'm next to a Tesla, because I make them rattle a little as I go by, but. Um, so there's parts of me that came out that I didn't know exist, and Here's the coolest thing. I'm this kind of more girly girl inside, and I meet this amazing woman. And I have the best day of my life when I married my, my bride, Kelly, 19 years ago. And she is such a guy inside legal field, like analytical. Her version of counseling is a two-by-four across the head. Get over it. I'm like, that's why you do your thing and I'll do my thing. Like, no. um, And I meet this woman who I, I can't, still can't believe. We met online, by the way. Equallyoak.com. <laughs> Ten months later, we were married. I was walking with a cane at the time, and doctors said I would never have a job and I would never work. I have Crohn's, and I was just dying inside. My body was um, decaying. I was on high doses of prednisone and other stuff, and I was a mess. What's interesting is when we got married, um, in those 10 months, I'd been in the hospital three times. And my wife and her mom had talked about, in marrying him, you will probably take care of him the rest of your life. Are you willing to do that? She's been a stay-at-home mom the last 14 years our kids and homeschools our kids. Well, I work two to four jobs because God is awesome. That story didn't play out. We actually, through lots of stress and struggle as a couple, found other answers and got help outside of medicine. And I've learned to take care of myself. And I ride a Harley and I go backpacking and I go snowboarding and I do stuff I never thought I could do because God is incredible. And every time I even get on my bike, it's just a reminder of I'm not in a wheelchair. We spent our first year of marriage with a handicap sticker and shopping for one of those motorized carts, because that's what we thought we were kind of into. And um, God is a redeemer. Does he, always, does he fix everything? No. I actually My crone stuff started flaring up two weeks ago. Why? We started back meetings at Corbin and getting ready for school year. And as the stress goes up, things go downhill every time. About November, it gets worse. And then depression sets in when my college students leave me in in December, and it hits me again in May. Um, I'm human, but I'm going to actually fight. What happens with these three guys, I also couldn't have kids is what we thought too. And I married someone who was like, I don't know if I really want kids, but it's okay if we have kids. And So when she found out she was pregnant the first time, she was kind (laughs) of mad. She had already in her heart kind of gone, no. We're not going to open that door. And um, so it's just kind of neat to have. I call them my experiments. They would normally be here with me right now. But um, my, my wife's grandfather just passed away. So they're dealing with all that. But um, these guys make me who I am. I only wanted daughters, by the way. And so then we found out we ha- were having a son. And I cried. And I was depressed for two weeks. <laughs> like I don't know what to do with a boy. And then we found out we're going to have a second son. God, what are you doing to me? And then I had my little girl who's just my doll. I love her to death. If she had been born first, I would be a horrible dad because she would have (laughs) me wrapped around her finger and she does not have (laughs) me wrapped around her finger. And I look at that and realize that even some of those things of who I was and who God gave me as two sons, it forced me into things that I never would have actually honestly tried. And to see how moldable and shapeable we are, that um, all my shirts say Harley on them, Mainly because my wife was like, stop complaining about the prices on, at the store, because they're crazy, and they're all from eBay. But um, it was a change from my previous clothing, if you will. Why? Because I loved her. And to realize that it's so funny how easy some of these decisions are to change. But why don't we? Because we dig our heels in, and we actually kind of claim some identity, if you will. And if we're not careful, it's one that's actually us at the center which we're going to talk about. So the topic, or oh, there's more pictures, yay. My kids, yes, love doing adventures with them. Um, what I want to do today is this. I'm going to walk through this. Um, these are the old slides, actually. Oops. Okay, we'll do this anyway. Creative order, disorder. This is the model of kind of how I'm thinking about this. And we're going to look at a lot of scripture. I'm a college professor, so good luck keeping up. Again, the slides will be online. But um, we're going to look at this kind of three, three pieces. So create order, disorder, and then who you are. How does this fit in with you? Um, which is really, really, really important. So the first passage of scripture, and we're looking at a created order, we want to go back to Genesis. Genesis one twenty seven. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the foundation we start with. That God created us male and female. And there is no other alternatives to that. That's how we're made. And we're going to look again uh, further at that. But there's another cool thing about the order of this. He, He created man, but there's something that some of us do. It's called work. But if we're not careful, we put it in the wrong order. Work did not come after the fall. Work came before the fall. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Remember that, that actually you are meant to work. I look at this word retirement and I laugh. It's one thing to retire from a job to start something new or to go invest in something different, but how many quit living? They lose themselves or they watch Jeopardy. reruns. I guess, I don't know. Um, They lose themselves. You are called to something greater than just punching a clock and death and taxes. So work, 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 beautiful thing. So put it in the right order. But then God even did something more incredible than creating man. He actually created this incredible person called woman. The Lord Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The model of even marriage that we're going to get to later starts right here. And society right now basically is is saying and emphasizing even marriage is just a societal contract. It's a societal construct. it's like, look at the Bible. Go look at the Bible. No, it's not. It's from design prior to even the fall. We haven't gotten gotten to that yet. So the man gave names to all the livestock. Can you imagine that? Think about what God did to to Adam. He goes, Adam, I'm going to have you try to Figure out if any of these are like you. In my mind, I picture this taking days and maybe weeks, if not years, of Adam every day going, nope, not like me. Nope, not like me. God, I'm in perfect communion with you, and I still have a void? This is pre-fall. Remember that. How incredible. I feel like it was God kind of emphasizing, I'm going to make someone that's going to be so incredible, that's going to be a helpmate and fit with you in a way that He's going to blow your mind. Adam found no suitable help or helper. Um, and then he created marriage. The man said, this is the bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called wow man. <laughs> she was taken out of man. This is the design. This is the start. This is the foundation. This is why a man will leave his father and mother, and he is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Still in the pre-fall, the design is beautiful. What's the created order is beautiful. And we have to say it, two sexually different people. A marriage between two men and a marriage between two women is not a marriage. I don't care what you do society-wise. You can have contracts. But nothing is sealed in heaven and nothing is sealed on earth. A wedding, a same-sex wedding, by the way, is an expensive party. Think of it that way. Change is kind of how you feel about it. Because nothing is sealed in heaven, nothing is sealed on earth. And someone who comes to Christ and they find themselves in that space, do I leave my husband or leave my wife? They're not your husband or wife. We are to honor God in our now now the messy part gets kids. That's another oh. And sad to say, I hear it all the time in counseling, how many oh my kids are resilient. Yeah, they actually kinda are, but they're still gonna be harmed by your decisions. But actually, even your decisions to move across town, <laughs> to switch schools, to leave that church and go somewhere else, our decisions actually do cause damage and or Character maybe, but it's life and it's part of us teaching our children how to handle that. And so sometimes the delusion of our kids are resilient, they'll be fine. No, they're going to be hurt. They're going to be harmed. So lean into that and love them and expect that. um, All of our decisions do. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Do you know what that's like? So I would beg to say that we actually don't know what that's like. We feel shame even now. We feel shame. We, don't, we can't even comprehend prior to the fall what that feels like, to have, actually have no shame. And then God didn't stop there. He brought them together. They felt no shame. And then now enters the picture of children, procreation, Proverbs 17, 6, children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. It's sad to me to think of how we even think about children nowadays. They're a nuisance. They're a, they're a problem. They're, they're a little messy and dirty and loud. And Actually, no, you are called to be parents in the sense of how we're designed. It doesn't mean we all get to be. There's trends right now in some couples who they come together and they want kids and then they found out one of them can't. And so they divorce because, well, you deserve to have children. No, you do not. I deserve hell, actually. And so what do I do with that? How do I lean into my spouse now that we've discovered that we can't have children? And yes, there might be other ways we can try if you can afford some of that. But we lean into that new us, just like you can't. You can't. There's no guarantee when you get married that that person's going to be healthy a a year later or two years later. You know, Laura. Laura's story, that beautiful song, "Blessings," where her husband ends up in a a brain. Is it a brain tumor or injury? And wakes up and doesn't even remember her. Accident. accident. It's amazing to think about. We don't have any guarantee. I know part of what shaped me as a young boy was watching my mom have cancer and how my dad loved my mom. That was a young boy. We were living in Costa Rica at the time. But then at eight, 18, so 10 years later at 18, to watch my parents navigate through it again and to watch my dad love my mom. And it shapes us. But also think about how many of us don't have that shaping from our family. We didn't get good examples of how to love how to surrender, how to sacrifice. And so we really do learn how to be about ourselves. So what do we do here? We have this created order. Well, there's the disorder. Where does disorder come in? Well, it comes in with one word, and it's sin. Sin enters the picture, and it all goes downhill. We're in trouble. That's where we're at now. If you think of the things getting in the way, it's sin. The places where we get stuck, it's sin. Genesis 3, 6 through 7. Then the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. And notice who's hanging out right next to her. She also gave some to her husband, who, by the way, was given the commands and was given the instruction, and he was silent, um, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, and they went to Kmart. Sin entered the picture, and everything changed. There's an awareness. They got what they wanted. They see, and they actually also now have to grieve. They have to hurt. They have to face. But here's the word that I think comes into the picture at this point. When sin enters the picture, this next word is where you and I actually tend to struggle and it's actually blame. Genesis 3.12, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Dude. (laughs) Punk. Right there. And what are we doing now all the time? We want to find blame for everything. It's always someone else's fault that this, that, or the other happened, and it's actually... No, I I own my reactions, and I own who I am, and I own how I handle all this, even the insanity of the last two years. But we want to blame. And what's so hard is there's some stuff that has happened that we have very clear blame. Some of the processes that I walk young people through when I work at college and stuff, that age, 20s, is a hard step where I actually look through, so sexual abuse. I work, look through what has happened to them when they were younger, and I go, who was supposed to be your protector, mom and dad? And I go, did they? No. So, where should the shame be? This is scary. This is actually kind of scary. Shame on them for not protecting you. And I go, well, hold on. Don't stay there. You even land if you stay, stay there for even. A few more minutes, you're going to actually just spiral. Why do I say that? Why? Because you're carrying a shame that you can't bear that's actually not yours. And when I put it in the right place, I can enter the most beautiful place, and it's called forgiveness. But if I don't tell the truth, I can't forgive. And a lot of places I find people stuck is they haven't told the truth. They're still carrying a lie and then fighting with the lie over and over and over and over for years. And when they tell the truth, they can go... And I forgive, and they feel very different towards even their, their parent. Shame on the person that harmed me. Why not to get angry and get mad and, and actually now seek vengeance is to then be free. I'm so tired of that controlling me, and I can be free when I put truth, capital T, truth, in place. But a lot of us are living and playing with and dancing around in our unconscious lots and lots of lies. We're trying to make sense of things we can't make sense of and trying to believe things that are not true. Now here's what happened with blame here in the garden at this point in time. Hel- the helper fail, Eve. Here's how she failed. To the woman, he said, I will make your, your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. And your desire will be to- for your husband, and he will rule over you. The consequences of who she was supposed to be with her with her husband at the time. But this is a scary one. Leadership fail for Adam. He was meant to be someone who actually was leading his wife, and he did not. He failed here. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, at which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And if you think of the picture of this, it's one of, Your work is going to turn into something that's going to actually be somewhat of a burden. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to be stressing. It's going to be something that's different than the way I designed it to be, which all of us can probably attest to. What were we supposed to be? Adam was supposed to be that that partner with his wife, and she was supposed to be that partner with her husband in design. Where do we find the working of this out now for all of us? In our marriage relationship, there's this back and forth and kind of pull of helper and leadership, and what does this mean? And, um, questions I ask premarital couples all the time I'm like, so what does it mean to be head of the house? And then I watch the husband or the boy, the, the guy who's getting married dig a grave. <laughs> I'm supposed to make all the decisions. I was like, okay, I'm not sure where you got that one. Well, from the church sometimes, but what does it mean to be the head of the house? Husbands, what is the, require, the, the burden placed on you? It is you're going to partner with this person who's so different than you, has such a different way to see the world, and you are responsible for her and your kids at judgment day. That's what it means. that should make you shake in your boots. It's not telling her what to do. It's not her obeying and you spouting off stuff. Absolutely not. You're partnering, and what an incredible relationship when you actually really are linking arms and making decisions together, and wrestling together, and seeing things different, but actually coming to agreements. That is not easy. That's what a lot of us counselors are spending a lot of time helping people do, and it is so beautiful. From this, these leadership and and, um, and helpmate fails, what comes? What comes is this, man will struggle with and return to the earth. But the one will have pain in childbirth and struggle with man. Now, again, pause and look at society and look at marriages and look at families. This is exactly what's happening. There's a constant wrestling and struggling between who's going to be in charge, like what do we do. Some, for some families, if mom ain't happy, ain't no one happy. And we actually almost think that's a good term, a good phrase, or a good thing. And it's like, no, this is unhealthy. Actually, I would say it's downright unbiblical. As we partner. There are husbands that walk in the house, and they don't even know what to do anymore. Because it's like this isn't their territory. It's hers and the kids, and they feel like an absolute outsider. Because of a lack of this, what was designed in marriage was broken through sin. And so we have a lot of working this out. So how do we apply this to us? What do we look about you? And I'm, going to, I'm, I'm looking at this through the lens of you've got the created order, disorder, and then in you, there's a certain word I'm going to get to in a little bit as to what it means for you and me when it comes to all of this mess was what it seems like, but also the beauty. In the book I wrote, um, I can't say that for parents, there's this chapter I put in there that my wife was like, you need to delete that chapter. That's just but it was the one on neur- the neuroscience side. So all of the way that God made our chemistry and our neurobiology and um, hormones. and It's fascinating because it shows a perfect design of husband and wife, male and female, coming together and how we're meant to be by design. But yet, for so many of us, we just don't understand how, that, how they can think this way or how they can act this way or why are they so emotional or why are they so heartless or why are they so this or that. And we get lost, But yet, again, God's design is perfect. And sin enters the picture. We lose each other. Um, I had a client recently. He just said, you know what? When I'm gone to work, we should just expect when I come home that we're going to have to get back on the same page because when I'm gone out during these, you know, eight to ten hours a day, of course we're not on the same page. But yet the assumption was before we're always supposed to be on the same page. It's like, so what needs to happen is you come home and there's a committee meeting. We get back on the same page every day. Yet, what is the average that couples talk per week? Anybody know? No. It's just actually, it's a handful of minutes per week. Sometimes I've seen some studies that say maybe an hour total a week. It's kind of terrifying. Think of all the little exchanges, and it adds up to just a little bit of time. And you're supposed to know me with that? No, you're not going to know me. It's, it takes intentionality. It takes investment. Yet we're so busy. So I want to kind of switch gears with this and look at it through the lens of gender and sexuality then. So Psalms 139, 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. There's a design from the beginning. From the beginning of when you were conceived, we know that a baby in utero experiences the world. You adopt a child from the day they are born and they have trauma based off what happened inside that mom and her life, chemically and then also around her. We know that. That is not even a question. Yet we still have questions about where life begins, which I think is such an interesting... I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How many of us don't believe that through our actions? Every one of us can actually probably list some things we don't like about ourselves. And God's up there going, I made you. You're dissing me. I haven't talked to a woman in my office ever who hasn't had a list of what they don't like about themselves. It breaks my heart. It's not what it's about having the perfect body or having the perfect mind or having degrees or having status or having the perfect person on your arm isn't going to make it Remember this lady that was a single lady that I live next to in Kansas she was so excited she brought me down to the garage cuz she had the first Ford um, Escape the only one in the state so proud of this thing, and I just laughed. I was like, there'll be like a thousand of them in like two weeks. But we do that. Plus, it was a Ford Escape. But anyway, <laughs> like we get all excited about. I have. I've had Hondas and Yamahas and Kawasaki's and different bikes, and finally, finally, finally sold the, sold the one I had, and I got a Harley. That one you saw. And I remember after a few weeks, I was kind of depressed because you realize. It's just a stupid bike. <laughs> and I missed my because it started easier. <laughs> and it's, it was very humbling. It is. It doesn't matter what you get of stuff. It's amazing how many of us have vacations, that then we have to have a vacation from the vaca- after the vacation because it was so exhausting. American version of vacations is just whack to me. Just you're so exhausted, and then you have to go back to work, and you're worse off than you were before and in debt, Um, do I believe that I am fearfully and wonderfully made? My life and my actions will show that. This is still that foundation of even who we are that we're either living from or we are making my own path. Colossians 3.5, put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And think about any of these lists. Here in, in other passages, there's a list of these things, and sometimes we look at them and we, can, we just go right into one, and we obsess, and we don't see the other two or three that are pointing right at us, and that we need to deal with. Um, but they're also not exhaustive. You're trying to call out something and say, hey, these are some of the things that you need to think about, to consider. We don't think this way, put to death. We're in a place in our culture where it's, don't you tell me what to do, first of all. But also, if I claim this is who I am, well, it's that word identity. This is who I am. This is not how God designed us to be, and we actually have losses there. Well, here's two of those areas. The actual idea of attraction and desires. I think we put these in the wrong place. Galatians 5.19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And there's a list again. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, alberts finger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. This is what comes from this. Well, right now we have, an, in our culture, attraction has become such a big deal. When I met my wife, I was not attracted to her at all. Why? Because in my mind, she didn't fit what I actually saw as attractive. What's really funny about that is I grew up in a different culture. Even though I may look this way again, what was attracted to me was not a white redhead. <laughs> Just to put it bluntly, there. And what's funny is our kids are. There was actually bets when we had our first kid. So is it going to be a redhead? <laughs> He's a little blonde, but. Um, like that's not what was attracted to me and I remember the day when I actually it was like something came over me of oh my gosh this woman is amazing and it was so much bigger than just physical beauty it's who she was it was her character it's what she stood for it's what she believed in it's her her Christ her God all of who she was and how big of a deal that is attraction to me is I'm going to put it this way it's bad data just to put it kind of in a weird way, but to stand out. It's bad data. Who you're attracted to, great. And it changes and it morphs and it it turns into all sorts of stuff. It actually has, actually a short shelf life because then I get bored with you and I'm on to something different. Same for your desires. Your desires are fickle. You're fickle. <laughs> I'm fickle. kind of scares me a little. How in the world do you last beyond a few years of marriage then? It's, that's a, Another whole question. (laughs) I'm at 19 years of marriage, and it's like we're just getting started. It's such a cool thing to see that now and go, "Wow, it's like we're just just getting going." We're at that stage where Miley is 12, so we're like six years. In six years, they're all gone, and we'll move and like not not even give them our address. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) Like, what are they going to do? Where are they going to be? I don't know. And just how excited us. Because the executive team, we get to actually decide where we go, what we do. Even though that doesn't always work out that way. I have a sister who's in and out of living on the streets and doing stuff in Texas, and she's a mess because of choices. It doesn't always work out the way we want it to work out. It, it's scary. And I remember my kids, when they were eight or nine, I would tell them, I hate that you have free will. <laughs> you don't have free will. I hate that you actually have free will. You don't have free will as in you can walk around the corner and do something that totally is against what we've taught you, and that's on you. I will feel it, and I will feel responsible for it, but that is on you. You go to a friend's house, what you do, all these things. The way that we handle our attraction and desires are critical because we want to fit in, and we want to be cared, loved. We want to be a part of something. It's actually scary what this looks like at times. Galatians 5.22, with the Holy Spirit produces this, kinds of, this kind of fruit. This is the other side of that coin. Who are we supposed to be? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. This is who we're meant to be. Don't go look on Facebook because everyone else is everyone's yelling at someone or mad at something. And it's probably a space that none of us should actually hang out, by the way. You need to be really, really careful with that. What am I attracted to? What are my desires? How much are those shaped by what I've done that I would, that's sin? How many marriages are impacted by pornography? Yet a lot of sex therapists, most sex therapists, would encourage you to look at porn to spice up your sex life. No, 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 no. When I went, um, my post-doc work was in sex therapy. I went back to the Institute for Sexual Wholeness in Atlanta, the only place you can get this training from a biblical worldview, from, a, from godly, godly men and women that, that went and did some of that other gross training and were protecting us from having to do that. I'm so thankful for them. Um, the, one of the founders, Doug Rosen, I just passed away a few months ago. Just love him. I wrote the book Celebration of Sex, kind of one of the pioneer books in this area. Um, kind of giving a biblical view of sexuality. Who you are is not your desires, and who you are are not your attractions. That's a really important thing for us to remember. Because if you're not careful, even as a married man, it's easy to look around and be attracted. And the word I like to think about there is, and it's laughable. So? But what do we do? Instead, we play mind games, and we're like, oh, they're not really attractive and we tell ourselves lies, thinking that's going to protect us, when really what that actually does is I put it into the darkness and into secrecy. I started, and we'll talk about this more this afternoon, but I started with my sons even. When I would see, see someone, see a girl that I know they noticed, I would point her out so that it moves, moves out of their unconscious to their conscious and go, we'll talk about her later. And so then later when they're in the car, I'm like, okay, what's her story? You start talking through who she is and why she's of value and why when when my son looked and glanced, what did you do with it? Did you file it away for later? Or were you a man of integrity? These were conversations I was having with them when they were five, six, seven, eight. Not teenagers. Now they're teenagers. Now, to be blunt, I ask them every few weeks, so what are your masturbation practices? They don't, they're not honest with me anymore. They were before. Um, but we have the little dialogues that are incredible, just them going, knowing I'm going to ask this, they've got to kind of have a reckoning there. What does it do? It moves it out of their unconscious to their conscious, and they have to take their thoughts captive. What kind of man are you going to be? What kind of man are you going to be? This is a constant. In our, we talk about pornography in our house almost every meal. It comes up somehow. I remember the day my daughter... Realized penis vagina like we 're all sitting at the table she's- tw- she's eleven at the time, and her eyes just like got big and it was just like, and we all busted out laughing, <laughs> and she kind of put that together. Why have we been talking about it since she was one, and they'll catch on when they as they get older and as they put pieces together, no pun intended um, and they they um Wrestle it out. And they're either doing it internally or we are creating the environment for them to do it externally. Galatians 5.24 Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. I need to start there sometimes for some of us. Where do I need to actually, what do I need to die to what needs work versus what we tend to do, which is distract, 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 go, 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 Why we have a self-centered bent. I believe that we are incapable of having relationships. Why you think you're right about everything you believe. Just to put it simple, you wouldn't believe what you believe if you didn't think it was right. So the only way to be in a relationship is to find an absolute cookie cutter of yourself. And then you get canceled out because when there's two of the same, they fade into oblivion. So what did God do? He designed marriage to be between a man and a woman and two very different people who have very different upbringings and different worldviews and different... Which also means the more different you are in other areas, the more struggles you're going to have. And the more similarities... Like I I used to... um, jokingly say, I'm only going to marry a Southern Baptist girl, because I grew up Southern Baptist. Um, and then it was funny, when I met my wife through this dating service thing, it had under her name Methodist. And I'm like, I'm going to marry a Methodist? What the heck's a Methodist? Like, solly. She has challenged me and grown me in ways that, oh God, is so incredible. Why, she sees the world different. Her dad's a pastor, and and being able to come into that with her, and where was actually a lot of her own trauma it was from Southern Baptist kids in school telling her she's going to hell because she wasn't Southern Baptist. <laughs> like, so then she <laughs> married one. Like, okay, so we've got some growing to do. God is incredible at even those pieces of how he opens that door for us to come together. We have a self-centered bent, which means we can't do relationships. So how do we do them? It's dying to self. It's learning to withhold being right to be in relationship which is really, really difficult. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. We know these passages, but it's like we get lost in the day-to-day Facebook fights and other craziness, and we lose each other. We get really stressed out over money. We get stressed out over you know, life and drama. When I work with couples... Uh, I work with a lot of couples where kids are either transitioning or something's happening with their teens. The first thing I do is I look at the mom and dad, and I'm like, "How's your marriage?" Because one of the first things that I see is on the chopping block is they're about to divorce because they don't handle it the same. How do you be a unified even though you're not handling it the same? And I don't want you to expect the other person to be like you. That's not the goal but how does your perspective add value to me and how does mine add it to you and how do we work together? And yes, at times we have to come down to a decision that is going to be difficult. I'm on the deacon board at our church. One of the most beautiful things that it's been, I'm one of the young guys too, the most beautiful things about the last two and a half years, I don't speak almost ever in there. I listen and I learn. But to watch this group of men Never leave a meeting without being unified has taught me so much. Especially as we were wrestling, do we stay open and defy the governor's orders? And us going to, coming to a 100% agreement of we are to be incarnational. We are to be in the body as a body of Christ. And I think of so many friends of mine and even family who have been lost because of AA shutting down and because of other support groups shutting down. And it was like, if I go here i might die but if i go here i might die and so which one do i do and many are back in their addiction because they had the lack of support we are to be incarnational this is so beautiful to, to even now be um, be together now one of the things that feeds into this bentness is we actually have language is a really important thing how we talk about things how we understand and I actually kind of liked this the first time I saw this. This the genderbread person. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's quite fascinating how complicated we are. I mean, honestly, for me, from years before, I'm like, I didn't see it this complicated. But as I kind of saw these parts parsed out, I'm like, okay, actually, I can see that. That we have the identity and attraction and sex and expression. And there's even what I'm sexually attracted to, and also romantically attracted to. These different parts actually helped me kind of wrestle with more layers, I guess you could say, of myself. I liked that at first. At first. Gender identity. This one starts, has started to worry me more than ever in the last few years. Actually, I heard a, a person finally say what I've been thinking for a while and afraid to say sometimes, is what we've, what's happened with gender identity is basically it's given permission for narcissism. It's back to that self-centered thing. It's all about me versus God has a design that is perfect. And what do I do with that? How do I wrestle with that? Because it doesn't get rid of the actual wrestling. But if I don't have a foundation to stand on, I'm up to my own devices where I end up. And I actually end up somewhere based off culture or based off friends or based off online chat forums or based off anything but the biblical, which is why it's important. Gender expression. When I met my wife, I show up to our, I think it was our second date, second or third date, and I'm wearing my purple suede coat. I love that coat. And she's so embarrassed to be in public with me. I didn't know this. At one point, she's like, are you hot? I'm like, I am. She's like, I'll be glad to carry your coat for you. I'm like, what a nice girl. And I never saw the coat again. <laughs> she stuffed it in the bag and hid it. And I remember, actually, previous relationships where I was like, this coat, I'm going to die in this coat. I love this coat. Because that identity piece, is like, this is who I am, not realizing kind of I was standing on something I didn't really want to stand on. But also realizing... You know what, it's actually quite easy to change. In our, in our history, what's happened is up until when gay marriage was voted in as legal, everything and all the conversations was born this way, born this way, born this way, thanks Lady Gaga. That's what it was. Until two weeks after the vote, it was all about fluidity. As we heard last night, it's only fluidity in one direction. but. It's, it's scary what we're giving to everyone to wrestle with. I wrestled with who I was. I wrestled with understanding why I wasn't like all the other guys and all that. I did wrestle with that. But I'm not asking questions like are being asked today. That's what this has actually opened up, which is scary. Really, really scary What's doing, what it's doing. But it's also this piece here, the sexually attracted to versus romantically attracted to. What does that mean? If I... If I boil things down to the kind of base level, we have this sexual attraction that we would eliminate all sorts of people because we're not sexually attracted to them. We would have this pool of the kinds of things we're attracted to. And I say things on purpose because they're not people. We turn it into something very animalistic, even. Versus even romantically attracted to. There's a desire to get to know you. There's a desire to have relationship. There's a desire to even nurture that. There's something different there. And what's funny for me is I am like this hopeless romantic and I marry the most unromantic human being on the planet. Man, it's hard to know how to love her. God's up there just laughing. (laughs) And I do believe that, that he's just going, "Yep." And the rest of your life you get to learn to pursue her. And whatever, like, you would naturally do isn't easy. It's kind of like the love languages, if you've seen the love languages, it, the, the five love languages. It's interesting to see how many, which is most couples I've seen, you don't have the same ones. Or if they are the same, they're a different dialect. Why? It means that you've got to work at it. My wife's bottom two at the very bottom are words of affirmation and touch. So what are my top two? <laughs> which means, like, if I put my arm around her at church, she's more like, get off. <laughs> but if she puts her arm around me, I melt. Oh. But I also know that she consciously chose to do this, going, I know Corey will like this, so I'm going to put my arm around him. It was not an act of kind of out of the unconscious. It was a conscious choice. When she compliments me and she says something, I know that it actually took effort and it was thought through. She's an internal processor. One of the things that I missed about like today, normally she would be here with me. And at the end of this, I would go to her, and and she'd give me a list of what to fix next for next time. (laughs) Um, Like my PowerPoints are the wrong ones. And so I'm kind of going, whoa. Um, She's great at that. But what's the other side of that equation? I have to receive it. It doesn't always work. When we were editing my book, so the first one I wrote, I hired a, a person that actually I would send stuff to them every week. And the number one rule was don't show any of it to your wife. Because she'll shut you down tomorrow, which has happened in the past. So 70,000 words later, I hand it to her. And she's like, oh, my gosh, this is so bad. She's an English lit person. Everything was in passive voice, which I still don't even know what that means. But in Spanish, everything is reversed. The way that the order of it. So everything I wrote was sounds right to me, but she had literally, we had to go sentence by sentence and... <laughs> And I remember at one point just having to go, okay, any change she gives me, I just submit to because I'm dumb. (laughs) It was so humbling and it was good for our marriage. Ironically, some of the hard things too, when i have been hospitalized were hard, but they were good for our marriage. The times when we struggled with kids were hard, but they were good for our marriage, which was really, really important. And how do you Lean into growing as a couple. Now, what this has done with our, with our culture, society, conversations, is you've probably seen these, the LGBTQIA plus letters. It's created a mess when it comes to even what's going on culturally. LGB is actually fighting against T right now. I don't want to be a part of that. The experiments you're doing on children are not okay. There's some that are saying that. And hopefully, more and more voices will come. It's interesting to think about that. Sexual identity is, and attractions are, coming back to that word, bad data. Careful where we place these things. Because what we've done culturally is we've put those front and center as my identity and who I am. And in that, I lose actually who I am. The marriage is between two sexually different people, period. And that's the design from the beginning, and where are we at now? We're in the disordered space. We're in the sin space. What is every man or woman, boy or girl, who's actually struggling with their gender identity or struggling with gender dysphoria or trying to figure themselves out? is They want to be seen, they want to be known, and they want to belong. What's really scary about that belong one is there's now pushes in some schools... Being gay or lesbian is so old school and so outdated. It's all about trans. That is horrifying. where is it going to go next? What's going to happen next? Now, one of the tools that I use to think through and help someone think through where they're at and who they are and how complicated, and this applies to every one of us in this room, is actually this one right here. These six things are parts of who you are. You have your intention, you have your biological sex, you have your gender identity, how you see yourself there, persistence and direction of attraction, volition, your behavior, and then your value, values, your values of framework. If you think of a pie chart, you would make these parts of the pie di- different sizes based off how much of these, you know, what mattered more and what mattered less. And it's neat to think about that. Because if you did this now, and you did this even a few months from now, it would change. It would morph. It would—it's it's not kind of set in stone because it's actually very subjective. But when you start thinking about that, you realize for some people, for some teens especially, they realize you know their values are actually pretty strong that keeps them where they're at, or their biological sex is, even though they feel and have these other parts of themselves. And the goal of this is to kind of make it a little more complicated, if you will, but at the same time kind of actually pull back a little so you can kind of see it from a different lens and realize I choose who I am, what do I do, who I, um, who I hang out with, how I present myself, all of it. That values piece, am I standing on a biblical foundation, yes or no? Am I choosing to honor you, Lord, or am I choosing actually a very different God, if you will? And I haven't heard very many people speak this way or talk this way, but it is exactly that. And, and I'm going to kind of pit them against each other for a second. If we're not careful, it's either or, I am choosing you, Lord, or I am choosing this as my God. I think if you think of it that way, it changes a lot of our conversations. Because what we're also hearing in some of the conversations in different books and authors is it's also about, well, you can be a gay Christian, and then there's a fight about, no, you can't use the words gay Christian, all these different side A, side B, all these different kinds of conversations, which is, for, for most of us, we're kind of going, well, you lost me back there. For the person in the middle of it, no, they're wrestling and trying to figure themselves out. Go to Facebook and click on gender. I think they're in the 90s now. There's 90 something gender options. I can't tell you what 90% of them are. Um, But even if you pick the same word and pull four people that would say that's them, they would give you different definitions. So it's not about that. It's about you and I are trying to wrestle with who am I. We've always been that way, by the way. That's ever since sin entered the world. We're trying to wrestle with, who am I? And I think this is actually a really important tool. Now, going back to the gendered person, gender identity is a piece of the whole. How I see myself, is it congruent with my biological sex? Now, the research kind of shows this is becoming, those that identify as queer or basically non-binary is growing by leaps and bounds in our culture. And many of the researchers are even saying it's very much more all around the social contagion piece. And what do you do with that? Actually, to me, great, that's good data. That doesn't tell me how to help, how to love, how to lead, how to guide. Um, Some families that I know have actually shut off the internet to the house and they have locked things down. But that's only worked in the ones that I know where the child or the teen has been like, I'm hurting and I need help and I want you to do this for me. That's where I've seen beautiful things happen. What if they don't want to? I've seen this with husbands and wives even and grown, grown siblings where they're wrestling and they're hurting and they're, they're asking questions. Well, think about this term or this this um, phrase, sex is, sex is my right. So the conclusion here is the, the authority of, of, that, of that of their own experience or intuition. So my... Foundation of who I am or what I, what I um, identify as is up to me. Which right there I already kind of go, I don't trust myself on most, most things, my emotions especially. So we're already in trouble. But then we have these parts that we're supposed to show up separately. But sorry, God has made me and therefore made the desires I have. Is that foundational? Everything God makes is good and therefore my desires are good and then good desires deserve to be, and even ought to be fulfilled. It's just scary to think about some of the belief systems that are out there that are actually pushing for claim it, grab on. This is who you are. Now, for me, growing up even, the idea of that I'm male was understood, understandable, that was not a question. But the working of that out is very difficult for some of us, for lots of us. What is the biggest factor there? Comparison. Uh, Apple, the Apple products added the, the uh, screen time feature a few years ago. Shareholders of Apple demanded that they do that for one specific purpose. Girls are killing themselves at a higher rate because of social media. That was the purpose. Why did they not say guys, too? Because they're doing other stuff, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Girls are killing themselves. This is scary, what's happening. And us as parents, and we'll talk about this more this afternoon, us as parents, if we're not careful, we're left in the dust at what they're facing, because a lot of this is the kind of stuff that they believe. Now, part of our job is to help them articulate it at times, so we're having to help wrestle through some of that, help them articulate it. Others have it very well articulated and were left kind of mouth open and not sure what to do. Here are the messages that they're receiving from their friends. It used to be tolerance. Then it became acceptance. Then celebration. Now it's participation. Think about that. Think about culturally where we're at. It's not tolerance anymore. That's actually so not even, that's still seen as subpar. It's even not acceptance. And even celebration's not good enough. And then what do you do as a parent or a sibling of someone who's saying, well, you don't love me? We need to be careful about even how that has been hijacked, the term love. Because the definition of love is kind of where we're going to end up look at today because loving someone is very different than just accepting whatever they are or whatever they're doing or whoever they are if we're actually sticking to a biblical view of that another quote from Preston Sprinkle he said we need to create safe spaces where young people can open up be heard receive godly wisdom and learn about God's expansive vision for what it means to be male and female where should that be? Our homes and our churches. Our church is actually meant to be on the front lines of some of these kinds of places. And it should be also, also be one of the safest places to come wrestle. But if you think of what culture and others are saying, um, another study was, was that 3% of people that, that leave the church left because of the theology. 97% of those that left the church left because they felt absolutely unloved and unheard and unaccepted as a person, not because of lifestyle stuff. We've made it, and others have made it, all about the theology. So we need to change our theology. No, we need to stand on a biblical foundation of truth, unapologetically, but also not with a big, huge Bible that we're hitting people with, a place where people can wrestle and ask questions um, and not be okay at first. I was at a church one time that was just visiting and the the associate pastor was preaching and he made the comment, everyone should be a part of Celebrate Recovery. And I wanted to jump up and go, you! There's something true about it. Why Celebrate Recovery isn't about once an alcoholic, I was always an alcoholic, kind of like AA. It's a, Let's look at the Beatitudes. Who am I to be in Christ? It's a very different lens where you can have a table of an alcoholic and a mother dealing with her teen and someone whose spouse just left all at the same table because you're not focused on your problem or where you're stuck. We're focused on who we are in Christ. Very different. Do I still need some space to probably work those other pieces out? Yes. Do I sometimes need some serious help? Yes, but... Yeah, we need community, which we'll get to as well. People of faith who navigate gender identity issues are our people. These are our sons, our daughters, our best friends sometimes, our moms or our dads. But where we're going in our culture is kind of scary. What's happening with our teenagers and the questions about who I am, the, something I want you to, to hear, I'm just going to kind of plant the seed right now to kind of think about I spent the last summer wrestling through Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body. A really important work. I, I've read it over and over and over and over this summer. I read it a while back. Um, probably the best Protestant look at a theology of the body, which the only other one I know of is um, Christopher West wrote it, but from John Paul II's teachings. Incredible, beautiful, redemptive. But she finally helped me see where, how did we get here, and it's this split. And it's a split between hum- human being human and being a person. How do we get away with abortion? Well, it's a human, but it's not a person. Or the ethicist is saying, well, they'll be a person when I say they are. And some ethicists are saying, by the way, that's around age 12 when they can do algebra. What are the implications there? That if you're not a person, I can off you. I can end you. It can kill you. Well, that goes for abortion. It goes for infanticide, which is we're going to start wrestling and fighting with in our culture more than ever. It starts with euthanasia or continues with euthanasia or if you are downs or if you are um, of any kind of mental incapacity. But it goes into gender identity and it goes into homosexuality and it goes into um, transgender as well. The how do we end up accepting is when we actually make a duality out of it. There's something, my body is a piece of material. It's expendable from the person. How do I have sex with whoever I want to have sex with? Well, when I'm actually living the lie of culture of my body is expendable. And we see the research actually shows how many do it and try to, and it's empty on the sex part with anyone. How many of those that have transitioned are detransitioning? What I want to start seeing is more lawsuits to these doctors and counselors. Sue the life out of them. That's, to me, the next step. Because it is utter abuse. And that's where we're at. This duality, if we're not careful. What scares me is you and I actually have elements of belief in this, most likely. Why? Because my body is sinful. We talk about this in the church. And so the body is almost of the devil, and then my spirit is of God. So we start talking this way in church, and we're not careful, we've just done the exact same split that has led to our culture accepting all these things that are absolutely not okay. When I start putting that together, I, my mind goes, okay, I can start understanding why if someone believes what they believe, but we need to put these back together as a whole. Well, here's the coolest part. Think of when Scripture... Or think of when Christianity entered the picture in in history. Christianity entered the picture in history at a time when men especially, you had your wife. She was to make babies with that are boys to carry on the name. That was it. And then you had sex with your concubines and with your slaves, male and female. What did the Bible come and do? What did Christianity come and do? It came and said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christianity came in and raised the bar in a society that was more debased than we are now, or maybe we're kind of close to it. Where's the answer here? It's Christianity? Where's the answer? It's Christ. Where's the answer? It's Jesus. Where's the answer? It's surrender to all these things. I don't know about you. I start getting kind of excited because we live in a time where we're going to see Jesus work. If you haven't already... I have in my own life over and over and over and over and over. Have you heard of the maps? This is the new term that we have to learn now, and I guess the letters will be added at some point. Minor attracted person. It's called pedophile. But we can't say that because that's too mean. We have to find, they found a, a term that's acceptable, that can be palatable, because it needs to be part of that protected class. This is where we're at. It started a number of years ago, and I've been speaking about this for four or five years. This is the next step. Well, it is. There's a TED talk that started it, and there's been multiple smart psychology people, <laughs> yikes. Um, sometimes I don't want to be associated with them, that have actually gone, well, we need to. someone's attractions to kids, but that's not their choice and we have to actually protect them. And they're not endorsing pedophilia, but then in the end they are. But no, we're not. But yeah, it's kind of, it's scary. It's horrifying what's actually happening. But another one that's happening here in the Northwest, more than across the country, is this one, polyamory. As I was writing my second book, the one that's for teens, we were about to go to, to publish, and my wife was like, we've got to add a second, another chapter. And so, kind of at the last minute, we stuck this chapter on polyamory. Why, I had read this article um, on Preston Sprinkle's website, that remember who was written by, but he was basically saying how most Christians could not tell you if they were asked why marriage between one man and one woman from Scripture, why, when it was written back in a culture that was polygamous and polyamorous and you name it, everything went. And so that's why I wrote that chapter in that book. It's like, you need to be able to answer that question. Why? Why did God have a design that was actually perfect in a husband and wife? Why does polyamory not work? Um, basic step to do. Which careful with this, but go to YouTube and type in "polyamory testimonies," and you'll watch. You'll see video after video after video of people explaining why they have found the answer to life. It's so much easier to take care of kids when you have four or five of us. That's true. But every story I've ever heard of anyone from their own mouth has shown why this doesn't work. Jealousy sets in. Turf wars, territory. Scary, actually. It's kind of actually neat to see what's been happening with those crazy, like the way they do these TV shows, these reality shows with the polygamy groups. And how some of them have been blowing up to pieces. It's kind of nice to see. But why do those women actually end up in those places it's all they know it's all they know and so being able to actually help free that's important to realize that god actually actually has more for you he's he's got something much more beautiful where are we losing our kids in some of this stuff online peers how many christians i know and christian homes i've sat in and they're like we know their friends we do this and we do that Where's their computer in their room? How much time are they on there? Always? Where have you lost them? You've literally opened your front door and had all of those unknown people walk into your living room, sit down, sit up camp, and just indoctrinate through chat rooms, through Discord channels, through headsets. It's tough. It is a nightmare, actually, in some ways. How do we navigate this stuff? How do we, what do we do? And that's, that's the question that many of you are asking. Um, and for simple answer is some of that, those cores need to be cut. The harder, harder thing is once you've opened that door, it really is hard to shut it. So one of my, it was kind of mentioned last night, one of my ways of doing that, which we'll hopefully talk more about this afternoon, is you partner with your son or your daughter. It's a relationship with them, not a top down. In the end, you are the parent, but when you can partner, it's a negotiating, and it's a back and forth, and it's going, to be a lot, it's going to go a lot better versus them just being told. But be careful who you allow. That coach of that, that team, you may have invited a horrible influence into their life, but it's a good thing. No, who they are coached by matters. Who they are taught by matters. And I'm kind of biased about being at Corbin University in Salem. Um, where they go to school matters they're going to become like their teacher. So if they go sit under someone who believes a very different ethic, don't be surprised when they graduate and ditch everything that you taught them. So that's a big deal um, and, and what you how you do this. Now, I mentioned earlier how we're losing girls. Remember what it was? Social media and comparison. We're losing boys in a different area. And here's the list from different re- research porn, excessive video game play, and absent fathers are the top three. Porn, excessive video game play, and absent fathers. Um, Richard, Richard, is that Richard? Zimbardo, Dr. Zimbardo, he came up with in his recent studies on this. And I added these three other ones that are actually really important to think about. We have a skillless group of kids growing up. You get a flat tire on the side of the road, you better know how to fix it. Call an electrician to change an outlet? Really? Learn how to fix it. There's a great YouTube channel. Some dad who's making all these videos on how to do basic things like that so we should know how to do that it's like, if you didn't have a dad, watch these, but they are so great. And we've, I, I fix everything I can. I love tinkering and fixing and love cars and House stuff and um, but now it's my daughter, so she's 12, so helping her learn how to fix Alice. We do American Heritage Girls with her, and so she's been learning the home repair badge and things like that. It's so much fun because man, it feels good when you can do it. I remember when I was really sick and I was stuck at home and I tore my motorcycle engine apart in the garage, just everywhere, and then I put it back together. What's the best thing besides? Not the best thing is when you have extra parts left over, but (laughs) the best thing is when you start it up that first time. I did that. When we had wiring problems in our house that actually almost burned it down, and I was able to go to the breaker and figure it out, and figured it out, and it was horrifying what was about to happen. I love that. We have a skillless, we (laughs) have an irresponsible society. They opened a Chick-fil-A in Salem. Um, I can't even eat there, but... Um, they opened it up, they hired 150 employees. And my son was going to apply, and his, one of his other Boy Scout friends already got in. And I was like, oh, and, and they said no, they already had their, their 150. I said, I'll oh, give it two weeks. What happened two weeks later? Like half the staffs already quit. Why? Because they actually have to work. Really? I don't get paid just to be on your roster? Like, so. It's scary what's happening in social media. I mean, I don't know what to say. Social media should be an absolute no. And how do you, what do you do with that? What do you do once they already have it? That's a hard one, really, really difficult one. I, I love watching my older son watch their friends and their phones and their relationship with their phones and go, I don't want anything to do with social media. That one's actually been the easier one. Our middle one's going to be another whole case. We named him Blaze, and he's got red hair, and he's psycho, and... <laughs> He's going to be another whole experiment. Be um, careful what you name your kids, too. Um, excessive video game play is also, it's not video games. Having your house void of video games isn't going to save your kid. But it's my relationship with that, that thing. There's a study that showed that if a 15-year-old, a 15, 15 to, I think it was 30, in that, what, 15 years? The amount of time a boy spends on video games, they could have mastered an art. Like, became a cellist at the highest level. Became an artist at the highest level. The amount of time is horrifying. I had a really hard time not getting sarcastic. That's our spiritual gift in our family. When my son goes, I finally won, and I finally got this and this and this on the game, I'm just like, <laughs>
1: whoop-de-doo.
0: I really have a hard time not being sarcastic because it doesn't build a bridge. It, <laughs> that's some of those areas I have to work in, learning from last night. But um, this is what's happening, and this is why this matters, and this is why you studying and you preparing yourself. The first book I wrote, I can't say that is the title. It's meant to be a, a walkthrough of gender and sexuality from a biblical worldview, looking at scripture to help you understand what you believe. Why? Because half of this stuff you haven't thought about. Then I can now teach my kids. The problem, so I, I wrote this book. I was so excited, and I was at a homeschool conference. And I'd watch mom after mom walk right past my table and not give me the time of day Why? they're holding a little one. And in their minds is, I'll get to that when they're 15. And I'm like, no. You mothers and fathers of one-year-olds and two-year-olds and three-year-olds, you're the one I'm actually wanting this for. So then I'd get into my session where I speak, and then we sell tons of books. But um, this is for the one, when your kid's one, two, three, I would say your parenting is done when they leave the single digits. That's scary to think about. The parenting is you know it. If you don't morph with them, you just get against them. (laughs) Teenage years are very different. They don't have to be a nightmare. Um, they definitely can be difficult. So we have a created order. We have a disorder. And what is it that I must do? What do I need to do here? Who is it that I'm, in a sense, called to do, called to be in all of my relationships, really? But then this plays out very much so in marriage and even with the relationship with my kids. It's this word, Surrender. We don't like that word. That you're called to give up the right to be right. You're called to be in relationship with people that you maybe strongly disagree with. And you surrender. You don't quit. It actually turns into this other word. I love this word service. It's serving other people, it's investing in other people. I'm calling you up to something greater. To my son, to my daughter, to my best friend, to my coworker, you've got a life that you've got, and we're in a relationship, and maybe things aren't working too well. I'm calling you to something greater, which is really, really important. And so, a question that tends to come up right here in, in this is: so, then how do I live with people messed up, others that are, have a different worldview? How do I live with people with a different worldview? Well, here's the passage that comes to my mind for us to kind of lean in on i thought i fixed that it says flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteous righteousness faith love and peace along with those who call on the lord out of a pure heart don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments and it says on facebook too just in case you didn't know that because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Able to teach. That's an interesting piece there. What are they supposed to be able to teach? And then it says, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. We actually are called to actually call people to something better. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, not you, that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of truth, of the truth. And that they will come to their senses, I love the wording of that, and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. That is our instruction. How do I live with people? It's hard. It's difficult. But I am called to speak carefully, gently, but truthfully. As we talked about even last night, you kind of have to earn it too with people. It's not something you just have. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with these things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is who we're meant to be. Now, thinking of even as a church, what are we supposed to do? What is the the model of church? And you may have seen this before, and I just really love this, is that we have this model here to be a redemptive voice of, we want you to behave first, then to believe in Christ, and then you can come be a part of our fellowship. Straighten yourself up first, then you can be a part of our fellowship. Or what if it was actually this one? Come be a part. And at some point, you might come to believe, as the Holy Spirit works in you, well, I can't guarantee that. That's not what it's about. But you're actually, a, the goal is for you to become. It changes how we do ministry. It changes how we have relationships. It changes everything of how we this isn't about being right. This is about Christ, and this is about heaven or hell. But not because someone's trans or because someone is gay or because someone's having an affair or because someone's um, sleeping with their girlfriend or boyfriend. So kind of what I want to focus in on to wrap this up and kind of land this is looking at a biblical sexual ethic and why it matters, that that's, um, kind of title, at different ages so what do we need to to think about when it comes to kids Are you were designed male or female with a purpose it's interesting how we have to really emphasize that more than ever now we need to you were you're born male for a reason i didn't have that planted in me i didn't i really i wrestled i'm my dad is a former nasa physicist who became a missionary like, he takes these prof, you know, profiles about, like, personality. He needs zero affirmation from people and zero, I don't know how my wife, my mom and him have made it 50-something years of marriage. Like, he is so not needing you at all. And he had the most emotional basket case of a son. I cry at everything. Uh, my wife laughs at how much I cry whenever, every time I watch Cars. At the end, when he goes back and doesn't win and goes and pushes the old guy through, I cry every time. So, <laughs> You're made male or female for a purpose, and that purpose, as it was mentioned even yesterday, I became a shrink. This is my 23rd year of being a counselor. I thank God that he made me the way I ma- he made me. I spent a lot of years hating God for the way he made me. And it's so cool to see that God knew exactly what he was doing. I don't like sports. I don't have time for sports. I don't have a body for one either. But um, after my 15th cast in high school, I got into other things. Um, But I've learned to do other things too that I've actually learned that hobbies, you know what my hobby is? More work. It's awesome. I get to serve more people. And when I actually gave myself permission for that, I got to serve more people. It's kind of cool. But our kids, this is the time to plant those seeds. Of being kind to those that are different. We were skiing in um, um, hoodoo a few years ago, my sons and I, and we came up. To, it was the last day of the season, so it was hot, and the snows it's kind of the, you know at the end. There are people like jumping off the top and with with uh, parachutes and doing all sorts of stupid things. But my sons were noticing there's a lot of girls wearing um, sports bras. And so my loud mouth middle son walked up to some girl and was like, to some guy and girl, why is she wearing that? I'm like, oh gosh. And the guy's like, because she's hot. <laughs> and he's confused, which one? Hot, hot or hot, hot? <laughs> so we had a talk. I was like, this place, first of all, shut up. Don't go there. But he was judging. He was like, she shouldn't be wearing that. It's not allowed. I was like, you don't have to say what she wears. So it's like, okay, we have some more teaching to do to my sons, okay, okay. Then, a girl comes flying by topless. Oh. Big girl too. Big girl. Oh, I was like, "Crap!" Blaze luckily didn't see this, so he had gone because that would have been hilarious. My older had, oldest son. So I just took off after my oldest son. Got to the bottom of this key slope, caught up with him. And I'm like, and he's just kind of like, <laughs> I was like, "So, first time?" He's like, <laughs> I was like, "How was it?" He's like, "I'm not going to answer that." <laughs> Question I've always asked was, who's going to show my kid porn first, me or him, or me or someone else? I know I'm not going to open it up and say, "Hey, let's look." But what that did is it opened up a conversation that we got to talk again, like I said earlier, about her story. Why would she do that? Why? Why? What's going on with her? Maybe her relationship with her mom or dad. Or I mean, we made it up. We didn't get to ask her. Um, that would be awkward. But um, <laughs> it's it led for. For months and months and months of conversation. And me realizing I'd failed about telling them about, you don't have a say in what someone else does or doesn't wear. You, don't, you can't do that. You can't dictate that. And we need to be full of grace. And how, We teach this when they're younger as, they, as we prepare them. For teens, stand strong in your beliefs and convictions. This is the hardest season to stand strong on anything. Social pressure, peer pressure is to fit in somewhere in some crowd. Even better, be an example. Be someone that stands out because you stood on something. The irony is that's actually a much better foundation if you stand on anything that's different than everybody else. The sad thing is it's becoming more on just being um, accepting and affirmative and celebrating and um, be a leader in biblical living. Have the conversations where, when a friend whips out a phone and opens up something that's unacceptable, they're the ones saying, Hey, guys, we don't do that. When someone cracks a joke, they're the person that says, Hey, we don't talk like that here. And boy, do we need some reining in of that. They don't joke around with the gay word. I hated it back when I was a kid, not realizing how much it was, how painful it was back then. We don't go there now. And be kind. The way you are, who you are in relationship really, really matters. Single adults, you need a community, period. I believe we would have better marriages if we learned to do single life better in community with other males and females, both having healthy, appropriate touch and conversations and intimacy and friendship and depth, not you just go it alone. I used to tell my college students, it makes me sad how many of them would graduate and go get an apartment alone. Now I tell them, ha prices are so high you can't. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe you'll actually have roommates, which is iron sharpens iron because that's tough. You're meant for community. We have seen that more than ever the last few years. You are meant for community. I have close friends who have died, obviously not from COVID, from other reasons, covid did them in older individuals who basically said i'm not living the way they're telling me to live i would rather die and be a part of my kids and my grandkids lives i was like good for you i'm proud of you which is hard this is difficult have high expectations i teach a marital premarital counseling class at corbin and one of the comments at the end every time is I had these standards for who I was going to marry, and because of your class, I have higher standards. I was like, yes, that's part of my goal. You raise that bar to where it almost seems like it's impossible that God could ever bring someone like that in your life. Not because you're focusing on the physical, because you're focusing on their heart, who they are. You would never settle for anything less. Live on mission with a vision. So, so important from those that are those of us that are married be all in for your partner they are your calling to love them to protect them to make them the best version of themselves to point them to Christ you're to be their biggest champion hurt together you may not be hurting my daughter came in my office last night yesterday afternoon in tears cuz Kelly's da- grandfather passed away a few days ago or a day ago, and she's like, is mom okay? I was like, she's okay now, but when she gets to Georgia around family, she's going to fall apart. What do I do? And she, oh, I just, I just hugged her. It was so beautiful. But it was like, you love her, and you shut up. Nothing. There's no words you need to say. Because she's like, what do I do? It's all of us. What do I do? Nothing. Just be. Just be wife that last night it's like she's struggling and because they're going together and grieve together you ought to be best friends for from too many couples i hear the husband say they're married to some foreign alien no that's gross by the way someone you have sex with that you don't know that's disgusting but that's not okay this is should be the person you know at the deepest levels, you know what their dreams are, you know what their passions are, you know them. Teach and lead your children intentionally. That's what this is all about. We have to go there. My wife, two weeks ago, took Miley out and did Passport to Purity with her. You know, we kind of have that anti-purity culture thing, I love tools like that. I did it with my boys when they were both nine. I went and redid it a few weeks ago with my middle son because, yeah, I didn't quite land. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was hours of conversation about girls and about dating and about all this stuff with them committing at the end that I'll tell you when you're ready as a parent, which is kind of the model of it. Our rule of thumb at home is you can start dating when you're a junior or senior in college. By the way. Not because that's when they're going to wait to, but it's the expectation. Stop trying to think because of pressure around you that you have to. But if you meet someone, we're going to have to steward that. But careful with the pressure. And so our oldest has been more squirrely on that. That's been a fun experiment. (laughs) If you're widowed or single again, community is critical. And your life's not over. You have so much to give. If you're widowed or single again, you are now in a place of serving the body of Christ and serving others in a way that you, know, you probably never could before even because you're not as divided. How to serve others, how to be an example. One of the things that I was, I was talking to a client of mine who was in the 70s, he's a professor, and I was like, you know what? I actually wonder if we should change the age where we allow a person to be like a full professor at a university, but also... Senior pastor of a church, and say basically you have to be 60 or 70 or up. And I was like, you know what? That would change. We've devalued the wisdom of old, the older generation. Having a church where we have intergenerational relationships are so critical and so lost at times. And so widows and single again, we need you. We need you at the front lines of loving our teens, um, having hard conversations. Part of the way, reason I even do Boy Scouts is we have a Christian troop and it's dads that have been curated, <laughs> since for from me that I trust them with my son and they trust me with their son. And the single parents, we tell the moms, and guess what, you're not invited. It's just dads. It's under our men's ministry at church. And it's dads mentoring sons. And we get to partner with single moms and say, I get to take your son and have these adventures and teach them. I love that. We need that. Number one priority here is the long game. And I mean biblically too. The foundation is the scripture as we talked about today. Know your theology and beliefs. Live ordered. Thrive in community. Be an example and be patient. What is the long game? Your son or daughter might not get it now. The person you love, your best friend, may not get it now. You're not the Holy Spirit. And you live life with them and you hurt with them and you're there. And what happens is their life will fall apart. Promise. Just like yours probably has as well. And then you're there. You're available. Which is so, so important. Live the long game there. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. You want to give up. But live that long game. By the way, the long game is biblical love. Loving someone by saying it's just acceptance is the cheapest, most frail foundation you can ever stand on. That is not love. Biblical love is actually full of limits and full of calling to and dying to. And <clears throat> it's, it's difficult. Marrying well is the phrase I love to use you marry well, you have someone that's your best friend. And that you allow them, you invite them to speak in your life. I don't like it when my wife corrects me. My first thought is defensive, because I'm human. My second thought is, I'm so glad she feels safe enough to come to me. I'm so glad. Because that's the test. You don't know sometimes what kind of environment you created or who you are until some, someone won't come to you, and you find out later. Romans 1, 24-32, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. I don't like that first part. Gave them over. Stop it, God. Will you just be my puppeteer and (laughs) make me obey? And he's like, nope, I love you so much. You choose. Oh, I hate that. Because us parents, sometimes we want to do that with our kids. We want to control. No, that's not going to turn out too well. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served, created things rather than the creator who is was forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do these or such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things but also approve of those who practice them. This is what we're seeing in our culture. And what we're seeing of families who approve of stuff in an attempt to love, I get the heart behind it. It's wrong. That's not love. Holding to a standard but even being silent is better than than some of the stuff that I've seen from families where they believe they're supposed to clothe themselves in rainbows to be loving or be okay with the boyfriend and girlfriend sleeping over, and that's their version of a long game. I'm like, no. No, keep strong and hard fast on those standards. 'Cause people of faith who are navigating gender identity issues are our people. This is our sons and our daughters, our brothers and sisters and our friends who they're struggling. Play that long game, engage in difficult relationships. This is what we're meant to do. This is what the church is meant to do. One of the things that bugs me about church, but also about counselors, is you have office hours. So when I look at the community over here, church, and I look at the community over here, if you think of Rosaria Butterfield, any of her writing, incredible story. Most of her friends, when she came to Christ and others, they all went back to, to their other the other culture. Why? Because of that office hours thing. Rosaria talks about when she was at 3 a.m., if you struggled, you knew which house to go to. you could get a hot meal and a bed because they were such community that I think it puts... Church to shame. Church shouldn't be a place of office hours. Do we need boundaries? You know, especially those in ministry. Yeah, that's really important. But its ministry isn't office hours. Ministry is really, really tough. I hate when I hear young, especially young youth pastors, like, "Man, my youth ministry is going great," and I'm like, "Then you are not safe." Because if you were doing youth ministry, you would know so much muck about your kids, you'd be hurting so much and want to quit. That's youth ministry. (laughs) And you go back and you do it again because you love these kids. But for a lot of people in youth ministry, they don't know their kids because they don't trust you. Same for us as parents at times. We need to initiate these conversations. They may not come to us. Actually, most likely they won't come to us. We need to initiate. So Again, with our family, we talk about this stuff all the time. Um, Lately, the other conversation has been about marijuana and that book, um, "Tell Your Children" by Berenson. Just having that conversation, why it's a door that once it's opened, it works. Why wouldn't you do it? So we need to talk through what the boundaries should be. Um, Alcohol, money. There's so many areas. Um, So my my labor of love has been this over the last two years. Um, I work at Regent University as well and do chair of, of dissertations, um, and it's been really neat. I, when I did my dissertation, I had a brand new baby born right at the very end of that. And I remember looking at that going, you're supposed to go publish. And I went, be a dad or publish? I want to be a dad. So about 15 years later is when I finally did this at a different season of life. Um, and that was my, my journey there. Because I wanted to be a dad that was actually present with my kids. Um, again, the first ones for moms and dads. The second one, I've actually have a lot of families that do it as a group, as a family, and like, almost like a Bible study at night, and it walks through Scripture and helps you think. My favorite review of that second one was an 18-year-old who said, "Thank you for giving me, in a sense, the data to think about in Scripture, but you didn't tell me what to believe." so, so important. We're leading you up to it. The Holy Spirit does the work. God does the work. Not us in that sense, but we have to take those steps. And so the um, QR code there, that is, again, they're going to be linked to the PowerPoint here and then um, also videos and stuff for this. But anything I can do for you, that's my heart, is this kind of stuff and helping families. Let me pray for us, wrap up here. Dear God, thank you so much that you called us to be in the position that we're in, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in, um, as a mom or a dad, as a brother or sister friend to someone in need, which is all of us. God, I just help us do that well. Help us think through some of the stuff that we talked about today, um, to really choose to lean on your word, what you're telling us to do, what you're calling us to do as men and women that love you, Lord. For us not to be other people's Holy Spirit, but to um, draw people to, to you, to the cross, to, to um, repentance. But do that in a relationship, God. Thank you for each person here and the influences they have, the others that are not even here that will be impacted by how they live and the choices they make um, and how they talk. And I just, I thank you. And it's also kind of scary to think about that, how others are always watching. May we we reflect you, Lord. May we reflect your heart. May we be redemptive people that draw, again, others to you. Uh, Thank you for this time as we continue on today and uh, look into um, the age-appropriate stuff even later today. I just just pray for an equipping today that um, extends literally generations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: I can only speak for myself, but I came in a little like, and what Dr. Gilbert, once you start speaking, I was like, ready to learn. There was something about the way that you presented that I felt like everything there was just, I could receive it. So thank you so much. That was amazing.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. It has been an honor to serve. If you are struggling, have questions, or in need, Dr. Gilbert offers a free consultation for new clients. Check us out at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages transformed, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Healing Life Center offers online courses, programs, books, intensives, and other services to help you live biblically and well. Discover more resources on YouTube and in Dr. Gilbert's Healing Marriage Facebook group, The Healing Marriage.